I'm sure if you have raised kids, you can relate with the circumstance where you gather your kids in a room together and you get them playing a game together. And while you're there watching them, getting them going on that game, they seem to be really enjoying the moment. Everything seems to be going well. They're playing together wonderfully. And it seems to be a picture-perfect scenario. And you think to yourself, my, this is marvelous. The kids are playing together. I bet I could slip out of here and go do a few things while they're enjoying this wonderful game. And then I can come back in and sit with them and enjoy this peaceful moment. And not five minutes after you leave the room, chaos breaks out. You hear screaming and crying and yelling, and you walk in the room, you go, what in the world went wrong? Only to know that the fact is what went wrong is you left the room. That is the perfect summary of the first five seals of God's judgment we see in Revelation chapter 6. God leaves the room. Seal number two is that God removes his peace from the earth. And when his peace is removed from the earth, every aspect of brokenness in the lives of people just goes crazy. So people are doing whatever they want in complete rebellion against God and everything is falling apart because the peace of God has been removed. But people's actions are not the only thing that is in complete chaos. And that brings us to the sixth seal. Revelation chapter 6, starting in verse 12. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? That, that is an arresting passage. Shocking. That people would actually long to be crushed under the rocks of a mountain than face the wrath of the Lamb. That, that phrase, the wrath of the Lamb, is the most arresting phrase in that entire passage. You consider what we see in all of Scripture related to a lamb. You can go back to Genesis chapter 22 with Abraham when he is called by God to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. 
He takes Isaac up on that mountain, and as they're going, Isaac asks his dad, Dad, where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham's response to Isaac is, God will provide the lamb. And right there in the middle of that whole scene, we hear an echo, a foreshadowing of a time that's coming when God will provide the lamb to stand in the place of the one who should rightfully die for sin. You think about when Jesus was talking about to his disciples the Passover on that night before he was crucified. That goes all the way back to Egypt. When God told his people, I'm going to strike down the firstborn of Egypt, but I want to spare the firstborn of my people. So you take a lamb, and you slay that lamb, and you take that lamb's blood, and you put it over the doorposts of your house, and I will pass over your house the blood of the lamb, a display of mercy and grace afforded to God's people. All through the scripture, the blood of the lamb is shown to be a picture of mercy and grace. When John the Baptist was telling people at the very beginning of the New Testament that he was there to prepare the way for the Messiah, and Jesus walked up, John the Baptist exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ came as the Lamb of God to lay down His life so that sins could be forgiven. The greatest picture of mercy and grace the world has ever seen. Jesus Christ gives His life and the prophet Isaiah prophesies about this moment. You know how Isaiah describes it in Isaiah chapter 53? That Jesus was like a lamb led to slaughter. The Lamb of God is a picture of grace and mercy all the way from Genesis all the way up through the end of the New Testament until we get to Revelation. When we get to Revelation, we see three pictures of the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God is, is talked about over 30 times in Revelation. And one of the ways the Lamb of God is talked about is the Lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of our sins, that picture of mercy and grace. But that picture of the Lamb is secondary to the primary picture of the Lamb. The primary picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, is the King coming in glory, not the humble and ser servant coming to die. And the king coming in glory is coming for one reason. To rescue his people and pour out his wrath. And the third picture we see scattered throughout the book of Revelation of the Lamb is the Lamb of Wrath. And right here in this passage we feel the tension of those words, the Lamb of God and the wrath of God. And yet the Lamb is coming with His wrath. There is one day He will come and He will pour out all His wrath on everyone who has sinned against Him and have not found the mercy offered in the blood of the Lamb. 
mercy, grace, and wrath. I, I don't think I'd have a problem getting into a fenced-in area with a bunch of lambs. Like, I'd, I'd feel pretty comfortable about that. You've been in a petting zoo? They normally don't have lions and tigers in a petting zoo. You notice that? Well, they, also, they always have a lot of lambs and goats and things like that because there's not a lot of risk there. It's, it's a pretty peaceful environment to go into a pen full of lambs. Well, seven years ago, Lindley decided she wanted to go into a cage full of tigers. I didn't go with her. I said, we were in Thailand. I said, if you go in there, I just want you to know, if they choose to eat you, and they might. I've read stories about these very tigers you're going in to see that have eaten people. And they might. I'm not flying your body back to the United States. <laughs> I'm not doing it. This is your choice. And for whatever reason you want to do this, it's your deal. I don't understand it. This is weird. And so she did it. And sure enough, she barely survived it. And uh, I felt really good about trying to protect her by warning her not to go in there. But I, I, I have never understood why in the world a person would want to do that because there's nothing safe about a lion. They'll eat you. The Lamb of God is full of grace and mercy and compassion and hope and forgiveness. But He is anything but safe. He is not safe. He is not like walking into a pen full of peaceful lambs. He is like walking into a cage with a lion. And one day, His grace and mercy will come to an end. And He will bring His wrath. And the description in this the sixth seal describes how all of creation is splitting apart at the seams as a cry from creation that the wrath of the Lamb is coming. And this is but a precursor for what is going to unfold when He unleashes His once and for all wrath on all sin, bringing to justice the brokenness of the world before a holy God. Romans chapter 8 talks about the creation of the world groaning with the pains of childbirth. Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 24, talking about how the earth is having childbirth pains in light of the coming judgment. It says that the things that are happening, the famines and the earthquakes on the earth are simply indicating to everybody living on the face of the earth that the earth itself in its broken state is longing for redemption to be set free from the brokenness that sin has brought the earth. And the earth is crying out in these pains saying there is coming a day when the judgment of God will be born and no one will stand. We, we see evidences of things like we see described here in Revelation 6. If we just look around at current events. Many of you can think back to 2010 when the earthquake hit Haiti. 
and over 300,000 people were killed. Hundreds of thousands injured. Millions displaced. 100,000 homes destroyed. You can think back to 2004 when the earthquake hit Sumatra. Wiped out and killed over 200,000 people. And then 14 different countries were affected by the tsunami that occurred after that earthquake. You remember that? Those two events that wiped out massive amounts of people and affected a great portion of the globe are but a drop in the bucket like a picnic compared to this in Revelation 6. This earthquake will absolutely ravish the whole earth. The islands and the mountains will be moved from their place. Stars will fall from the sky. And no one, rich or poor, privileged or not, will be able to escape the coming wrath of the Lamb. You cannot escape. People will be running and trying to escape. And they will prefer being killed by rocks falling down off a mountain than the thought of facing the Lamb in His wrath. They want to run and hide because nothing they've held on to, no form of idolatry, no form of false hope, no form of temporary security, is standing in this moment. Everything people have found a reason to hope in, to have a future in, to have worship towards, that is not God in Jesus Christ falls completely apart. They're left with nothing but running and hiding. Can you imagine? In the final words of this passage should absolutely terrify us. Who shall stand? I mean, the implication in the description is no one. No one can hide and no one can stand. But that question leaves us needing an answer, right? I mean, you read that question, who can stand? If this is coming, who is able to stand against the wrath of the Lamb? I need to know, is there hope for me? And and so we get to skip ahead just a little bit to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Get a little preview of where we're headed, but here's where we hear the answer to that question. The question we need answered desperately in light of the sixth seal. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who can stand? People from every nation, tribe, and tongue who have been clothed in white and have palm branches in their hands to celebrate the forgiveness that they have found through faith in the Lamb of God. 
the only people who will be able to do the unthinkable to stand before the Lamb are those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is no other way to stand before the Lamb of God when He comes in His wrath except under His blood. That's who stands. Isn't that encouraging? To know that through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, his blood shed for us. We will stand on the day when no one outside of Christ will be able to stand. And we will do the unthinkable. Stand before the Lamb of God. Sinners who have been washed clean. And we will worship. We will worship. You know what that means for you and for me? We don't have to hide from God anymore. Everyone on the face of the earth who's been trusting in anything and everything but Jesus Christ, when the Lamb of God shows up in His wrath, they will run and hide. This is not a new story, by the way. You go back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve came into the garden, they walked with God, perfect peace, perfect communion, perfect joy. Until the day they began to doubt God's word and question his goodness. And they chose to eat from the forbidden tree. And they came to understand both good and evil through their own rebellion. You know what they did? They ran and they hid. They clothed themselves and they ran and they hid from God. Because that's what our sin makes us do before the holiness of God. We sin against God. We run and we hide from God. And we try to figure out a way to cover the brokenness of our shame. So that if by chance we have to be found out by God, we've done everything we can to make ourselves look more presentable. When we sin against God, our tendency in our sin, the what we do, this is our track record, we run and we hide. Because we don't want to be found out. We do exactly every single day in our sin what the world will do when the Lamb of God shows up in His wrath. Because every one of us in our hearts knows that God is holy and we are accountable for our wrong. And we cannot stand the separation that our sin creates with our God. And when we sin against Him, we simply run and hide from Him. We do just what Adam and Eve did. That's what sin does in us what it's always done that's what it will always do but that's not the only truth that we see in Genesis chapter 3 no God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day and he called out to Adam and Eve and he said 
Where are you? We know God knew where they were. He knew what they'd done. He knew exactly where they were. And yet God calls out to Adam and Eve. Where are you? They ran and hid. And God goes and seeks the sinner. We're here, God, but we were afraid because we see our shame. And so we hid from you. Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat? Again, God knew, but God asks. Why does God ask Adam and Eve, where are you? Why does God ask, did you violate the command I gave you that created the parameters within which you would enjoy my freedom, my relationship, my mercy, grace, and perfection? Did you step outside of what I gave you as the greatest gift of all, how to know me and walk with me? Did you violate what I gave you as how you could walk with me? Did you do it? He's asking because he's prompting Adam and Eve to confess their sin. He wants them to run back to him. The very moment we feel like we should run and hide from God is the moment we should turn and run to him. And we will find in that moment that he has already been running after us and he is calling out to us by virtue of his spirit and his word. What have you done? I'm ready to hear it. I know it, but you need to confess it because what I need you to do is figure out what I'm saying about you. Agree with that because the only remedy for your sin is if you understand you are responsible for your sin and I can forgive you. What did Adam and Eve do? She made me do it. And then she said, the snake made me do it. What they God invited them to run back to him, and what did they do? They kept hiding, didn't they? Because coming out of hiding in sin is a scary prospect in light of the holiness of God, because the Lamb of God is not safe. He's holy. Praise God. God that he runs after us and he has displayed the blood of his sacrifice on the cross in history so that we might have something always to look back to to prove to us he's running after us and he wants us to turn our hearts to him and to trust him and to come out of the hiding our sin has pushed us into And find that because of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that we can actually do the unthinkable. In the midst of our sin, we can find forgiveness. And as sinful people, we can know by the cleansing work of Christ, we can stand in the presence of the Lamb of God. Under the safety of His blood and worship. Won't won't you run to God? 
If you're going to run to God today in your sin, and we all will be there this week, guess what? We are all going to be there sometime this week where we have failed against God, and His Spirit is convicting us, and sin is luring us to run and hide. Will we not choose this week to run to God instead of away from God? If you're going to run to God this week, you've got to recognize, you've got to believe and embrace that before you sin this week, and began to think about or even act out running away from God, God has already planned to run to you. He's already made plans to come after you. The moment you fail this week, He's coming after you. But He's coming after you with His grace and mercy. And He wants you to turn and find that He is asking you about your sin. So that you might experience the cleansing of his righteousness and forgiveness. He's not asking for an account of your sin this week because he's coming as the lamb of wrath. He's asking for an accounting of your sin because he knows your confession of your sin will bring you into the goodness of his forgiveness every single moment. You've got to run to him. You've got to tell him what you've done. You've got to join him in the journey of being moved along in his righteousness, aligning your life with his heart for who you are supposed to be, one who stands before the Lamb of God and lives a life of worship. I don't know if you know this or not, but in our church we have a Bible study that meets on Wednesday nights. This is a new development in our church. It's called Regeneration. It's a Bible study that encourages the people of God to stop hiding in their sin and instead run to Jesus and enjoy the freedom of forgiveness and redemption. And I want to tell you, people's lives are being changed. I want you to know that our staff team, the guys on our staff team, have been going through this Regeneration Bible study together as a staff team. We are doing our best in the moments we want to hide the most to run fastest to Jesus Christ, confessing our sin, confessing our sin our failures and our shortcomings to one another. Because James chapter 5 verse 16 says, if you confess your sins to one another, you will experience healing, redemption. And we just believe that this whole thing of walking together, running to Christ is a lot better if you do it with the people of the Lord who've experienced the mercy and grace of Christ than doing it alone. Because I'm telling you, our tendency is to run and hide. And we'd love to do that by ourselves. And we'd love to stay in that position by ourselves, even if it's only so far inside of our hearts that nobody else can tell we're doing it. And it's far better to run back to Christ and be helped along the way with other brothers and sisters who want to run to Christ just like that. And it's changing our lives. I was able to stand in the Regeneration Bible study a couple months ago and give my testimony. 
And I shared about my brokenness and how the Lord is renewing my heart and life. And one of the things I talked about in that story, and I'll tell you the whole story at some point. God's really prompting me to tell you my story. So I feel, I feel like I'll do that at some point. But I just want you to know this. I stood before that group and I just talked about how I love the fact that I don't have to hide ever again. I don't have to hide. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to act like something I'm not. I get to run to Jesus Christ with all of you and find our lives forgiven and led by the Spirit of God to something better than hiding in my sin. I want our church family to be a place where anybody can come. And I want them to never feel like being among us contributes to their feeling of needing to run and hide their sins. I mean, isn't it a shame if the church is a place where sinful people come and feel like they have to run and hide more because of what they experience when they walk into these doors. It should not be that way. I don't want it to be that way. I don't believe it is that way. Since day one, I've been trying to be very honest with you about where I struggle and who I am and how I walk with Christ because the bottom line is, I don't think this is a place where we have to run and hide. I think this is the place we can find the clearest path to run to Jesus. That's what I want. I believe that's what you want. Because that's been put in our hearts by God. Because he's been looking for us. This weekend I spent time with a bunch of pastors and pastor's wives at this thing called this Encouragers Conference. Lindley and I were one of five couples there speaking and ministering to pastors and pastor's wives who come from all over the state because they needed encouragement. <clears throat> Lindley and I thought it was really interesting that we showed up on Friday night feeling like we needed as much encouragement as anybody there. And we just said to ourselves, we really believe that needing encouragement is the best place to be, to be a conduit. For God to use us to encourage others. And we left so encouraged. So encouraged. And part of what encouraged us was the numbers of pastors and pastor's wives that walked up to somebody in our team and said to us something they've not told anybody else. Somebody came up and said, I am so broken. I don't know if I'll be able to continue as a pastor or a pastor's wife. But after this conference, I'm going home and I believe we can keep trusting Christ in our call. One guy came up and he said, the first two years at my church, this is the first church I've ever been to, I never anticipated how lonely I would be. Broken. He said, I'm so glad to know I'm not alone. 
Another person came up to me and said, I feel like God's calling me to leave the church I'm at right now, and I'm so afraid to follow him. And I was able to hug that brother and say, I know exactly how you feel. And he left that room and he said, I'm going to obey the Lord. Those men and women ran out of hiding and they found Christ. And it was so encouraging. I want to urge you this morning to run out of hiding and find Jesus. And so I want to encourage you with Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. God will have compassion on him. Let him return to our God and he will abundantly pardon. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. We think the way is to run and hide. But God doesn't think that way. He has created an opportunity for us to run to him and find his mercy so that we never have to hide again. Run to Jesus. You will never regret it.